Welcome to the ConderVultures.com podcast with your host, Peter Zalewski, a Miami real estate broker, Wall Street consultant, and expert witness. This podcast is focused on identifying real estate buying opportunities in the South Florida condo market, Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. The ConderVultures.com podcast is not authorized by the South Florida real estate industry and will most likely annoy many of the region's talking heads. This podcast will feature straight talk and salty language that could be offensive to some. Please remember that part that past investment success does not determine future gains, especially in the South Florida's volatile condo market. For more information, please visit condovultures.com. Welcome to the Condo Vultures podcast. I'm Peter Zaluski, the host. This is the Miami Real Estate and Economic Roundtable. It's podcast number 29. For this particular podcast, what we do is we bring together current and former journalists. Uh, there's four of us. I'm a former journalist. I spent 13 years as a journalist, and then I've done a um, little bit more than that as a uh, real estate broker and investor, as well as a um, uh, expert witness and a consultant. Also, I uh, have Brian Bandel. He's a senior reporter over at the South Florida Business Journal. He's been doing that about 16 years. Real go-getter and a ball buster, uh, if you will, when it comes to the um, reporting side. We have Oscar Musabai. Oscar's a partner in the... Um, uh, public relations marketing firm called Influence Communications. He also was a former journalist. He spent a, a number of years writing about real estate in South Florida. He also had a stint out in uh, the Los Angeles area. And we also have John Fackler. John used to write about white collar crime. He also wrote about publicly traded companies based in South Florida. Right now he's a private consultant. What we're going to do for this particular roundtable is we're going to kick around th- uh, six story ideas. We're going to uh, give you some context as to why we think they're important and what kind of impact they could have on the South Florida marketplace. We will then follow those two segments with the six headlines. We're going to follow that with a predictions uh, cycle, uh, segment where everybody will be asked to make a, uh, a prediction about something coming down the pike. And then finally, in segment four, we're going to have a comment section. So if you, the audience, if you have anything that you want to tell us, you got any suggestions, some criticisms, some compliments, we want to hear from you. To reach out to us, send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. So fasten that seatbelt, sit back, get ready to laugh, get ready to learn, and um, hopefully we enjoy it. Are you a primary user or real estate investor who's in the market for a discounted South Florida condo? Are you searching in the markets of Greater Downtown Miami, Miami Beach north to Sunny Isles Beach, Hollywood north to Fort Lauderdale, or anywhere else east of I-95 in the Tri-County South Florida region? If so, the buyer brokers at Condo Vultures Realty are here to assist you. Condo Vultures Realty is a licensed Florida brokerage that was established in 2006 to assist educated buyers in identifying, negotiating, and purchasing units at a discounted price. To speak with a buyer broker at Condo Vultures Realty, please call 305-865-5859 or visit our website, condovulturesrealty.com. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm Peter Zalewski, the host. This is the Miami Real Estate and Economic Roundtable. It's a discussion by current and former journalists talking about the biggest headlines that have occurred within the last week. The idea of the podcast is to provide context to you, the audience, um, about some of the stories that are out there that could be impacting your real estate investments or your interest in investing in South Florida area, which is Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach counties. Who do we have uh, this week's podcast? Well, we have myself. I was a journalist for 13 years. I've been doing real estate north of 13 years. I have John Fackler. John is a former uh, reporter. He covered white-collar crime. He also covered publicly traded companies based in South Florida. I have Oscar Musabai. Oscar is a partner in a um, public relations marketing firm called Influence Communication. He used to be a real estate reporter, and he was a journalist in South Florida as well as out in the Los Angeles area. And then we have Brian Bandel. Brian Bandel is a senior reporter at the South Florida Business Journal. He covers real estate. He writes about banking. Basically a badass on the beat. He's been doing it since, uh, Brian, how long has it been? About 16 years or so you've been uh, working yeah, in journalism? Right. Yeah, I've been working for 16 years at the South Florida Business Journal. Wow, wow. And he's a UM grad, so we were, we were talking before the podcast that the college football season might be in jeopardy, and uh, maybe that's good news for Manny Diaz, the coach of the Canes, because he hasn't delivered thus far. <laughs> you can't have a losing season if you don't play, and you can't have a winning season either. But... You're right. Exactly. So, so gentlemen, um, uh, this is what I'd like to do. I'd like to uh, use the first 20-minute segment. We'll talk about three headlines. Take a break. Uh, we'll have another 20-minute segment. We'll talk about another three headlines. Take a break. We'll then do a prediction phase, which, by the way, I'm going to claim some credit on one of my predictions. 
And then, nice. uh, <laughs> and then the fourth phase, we, we have some comments uh, from the audience. So if you were in the audience, you like what we're doing, you dislike what we're doing, you have any tips, suggestions, uh, you name it, we want to hear about it. We'll mention it on the uh, podcast and we'll discuss it. We're not afraid to hide from criticism. And we definitely like compliments as well. How do you get a hold of us? Send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com. I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. So rules of engagement, only one. We're looking for straight talk and salty language, which is, i.e. is cursing, is acceptable. Everybody cool with that? You ready to go? Let's go. Do it. All right. All right. So so what I've been doing recently is I've been giving you an update about what's going on in the state of Florida, which is uh, South Florida, especially, has been called the epicenter of the COVID crisis in the United States. Let me give you some numbers. This could, these come out of today. This is the 10th of August. It's going to come from the Florida Department of Health, the COVID-19 dashboard. So if you want to look it up, feel free to go ahead and look it up. And they're providing those uh, those uh, statistics. So here's what we got Florida wide in terms of COVID confirmed cases. Uh, just uh, nearly 537,000 cases uh, we have in South Florida, which is Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach counties. We got about 232,000. So 232,000 cases in South Florida, 537 throughout the whole state of Florida. On a county-by-county basis, in Miami-Dade County, just under 133,000. In Broward County, where Fort Lauderdale is, uh, just over 62,000. And then in Palm Beach County, where Mar-a-Lago is, uh, we have nearly 40,000 cases. So when you when you sort of run all the numbers, about 43% of all cases confirmed in Florida are going to be in that tri-county area. Now, on the death count, we have 8,400 deaths that have been registered in the state of Florida uh, uh, related to COVID or as a result of COVID. South Florida's got about just over 3,600 or about 43%. So again, 43% of the deaths, 43% of the cases are coming out of the tri-county area based on the data that's out there uh, on a county-by-county basis. Just under 1,900 cases uh, of deaths, I said, Shea, are in Dade County. So that's about 22% of all the deaths in Florida are occurring in Dade. Then Broward County's got 821 cases, or about 10% of the state total. And then Palm Beach County, which is a little bit older, uh, then Broward County's got 936,000 cases and about 11%. So again, 43% of all cases, as well as deaths, are occurring in the South Florida um, area. Anybody have any comments to make about that before I sort of hit you with our first headline? Because it's going to be related to this. So, so the good news here, the silver lining, is that the percent of cases that are tests that are positive is lower. So it's trending downward a little bit. It's no longer like 15 or almost 20% of cases that are positive. So it's trending in the right direction, but it's still not to the acceptable level. The World Health Organization, you know, under that test should come back positive. If we can keep that, you know, below 5% for a few weeks, we'll feel a lot better. Got it. Got it. Got also it. And the, that's it. Uh, sorry, John. Of, go ahead. Also, the number of cases is trending downward as well over the last week in Florida, overall in Florida. So, so let, let, let me give you the first headline. And, John, you can, you can piggyback on that. First okay. headline comes out of CBS4 Miami. Uh, it's the local uh, CBS affiliate, obviously. Uh, headline, Fort Lauderdale mayor doesn't want residents to get complacent after county sees dip in COVID positivity rate. And basically what the story says is that they're making progress in Broward County. Florida Department of Health numbers show that positivity rates in the county dropped below 10% on Sunday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of last week. CDC recommends being below 10% for two weeks straight before you can consider easing restrictions. John, what say you? Uh, what's Broward doing and what the hell is Dade not doing? Yeah, um, I, I, I would, I'm actually very positive um, looking forward as far as Miami-Dade. Overall in the state, there also has been a decline over the last week in cases. And as Brian mentioned, death rate has also gone down. Now we're looking at positivity rate in Broward. Uh, I would give it a couple more days. I'm actually a little bit more positive uh, than I normally am. <laughs> Uh, to see if there's a positive trend here. And, you know, I think by the time we revisit this next week, we might have some real answers. So, so Oscar, if we might have some answers the next couple of weeks, um, school's supposed to start. Is it going to start? Is it going to go online only like the uh, school boards are saying down here in South Florida? Or do you think because of the, you know, the, the positive momentum and fewer and fewer uh, confirmed cases that possibly uh, there might be an attempt by the governor to try to get the schools open and students in there as well as teachers and everyone else. No, that's not going to happen. In Miami-Dade specifically, the superintendent has said that school will start online and that's not going to change. Okay. 
and, and uh, health experts. I'm looking at the story, and this is kind of uh, this echoes what Brian had to say. It says uh, um, uh, health experts are recommending school and county leaders get below a two week average positivity rate of five percent, which Brian, you were talking about before uh, school should be open. So I guess the the, uh, the 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 health officials are are following the WHO, which is the World Health Organization's uh, recommendation. Yeah, and, and all, all all three counties are going to start virtually. But I, I think the concern, though, is even if you keep it down, opening schools might allow it to come back up. We've seen, mm -hmm. for instance, in Israel, they really did a good job initially. They got the infections down low. They got deaths very low. And then okay. they were like, OK, well, let's open schools. And they sent everyone back. And then it started again. And one of the places it started was kids spread it to other kids. They spread it to teachers. Kids spread it to their parents. And then Israel becomes a hotspot again. And, and that's a microcosm of what could happen here. It's not gone. It might be lower. But even when it's lower, there's that little spark. You know, you just throw that spark on the, you know, on the bell of hay. It could ignite again. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it kind of reminds me when the Federal Reserve was looking at raising interest rates. I'm not, I'm not talking. Obviously, there's a big difference between finance and the health part. But when the Federal Reserve was looking to raise interest rates, everybody was afraid if you open it up, what exactly is going to sort of happen? So I can see that 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 conundrum over on on the school side. And that's an interesting point about Israel. So uh, good trends, uh, a segment or, or a transition, I should say, into uh, story number two. Oscar, why don't we start with you? This can come from CNBC headline. 32% of Americans had outstanding housing payments at the beginning of August. And I don't think outstanding means they love what they were paying. I think they have not paid uh, what was due. Let me give you the lead. As Congress debates what to include in the next coronavirus relief package, almost one-third of households, 32% to be exact, owed money for missed rent or mortgage payments from previous months at the beginning of August, according to a survey by Apartment List and Online Rental and platform company. So Oscar, one out of three Americans um, uh, at the beginning of August, and remember the economic stimulus money was running through July, one out of three was already behind on payments. Um, what, what, what say you? So I read that story and it said that uh, that's the fourth month in a row that a historically high number of households were unable to pay their housing bill on time and in full, up from 30% in June and 31% in May. And I was reading another story that just talked about President Trump signing an executive order that would provide up to $400 in relief uh, as part of the unemployment. So so previously, right. but it's from, not from being called unemployment, because if it's called unemployment, then it creates some legal barriers that well, 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 effectively, somebody who was unemployed was getting $600 That's right. a week under under the CARES Act. That expired at the end of July. And now we're basically in a situation where un, the unemployed throughout the country are effectively getting nothing. And what the state gives you is very little. I think the state of Florida is like 275 maximum. So somebody's going from a potentially making uh, uh, 275 a week uh, times four uh, from the state side and then another $600 a week times four. From the federal side, you were able to survive. Now, suddenly, all the federal money has effectively disappeared. And now Trump has tried to sign some executive orders to uh, to do what Congress uh, 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 wasn't able to do uh, thus far. Right. Is that right, Oscar? Yes. But the the interesting twist is that it's 400 if the states kick in 100 of it. So Trump yeah. is actually committing to 300. <laughs> it would be 400 if the states kick in. So, the states that are losing out on on billions of dollars in revenue because of the right. disaster. That's right. So it's it sounds like it's going to be an enormous problem because on top of that, it's going to be caught up in legal whether uh, questions about whether it's legal or not. And getting back to this household situation, um, part of the challenge that that uh, renters have is that or or homeowners have is that if they're not paying their rent or if they've been late, they're going to get late fees tacked on, which means that whatever they couldn't afford before, it's going to be even higher. And that's going to create enormous, enormous problems. So this four hundred dollars that could be sent could be sent to people is not enough to offset whatever the the late fees and everything else that is due to landlords. Yeah. And so, so I guess, I guess, Brian, a question for you. Um, would it make more sense for the government to send vouchers that uh, tenants could use with landlords and simply get 
uh, paid uh, uh, or, 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 or was it, was a situation of $600 a week. Do you think that made more sense or what, what, what do you make of the fact that landlords aren't getting paid and now unemployed aren't getting paid either? I think a voucher makes a lot of sense. I think you could have one voucher for food and another voucher for housing because mm-hmm. those are the important expenses. Otherwise someone might say, well, like there's an eviction moratorium in Florida, so I can say I don't need to. Pay, I, I could take this money I'm getting and put it on the side and not pay my rent. Yep. If I want to, that, I mean, you might. A lot of people are, but if you want to be cold blooded about it, you could be like, I don't have to pay my rent. Yeah. I could. I could take advantage of the eviction. The eviction moratorium. Um, they probably will use the food stamp on food. You know, you're, you're gonna you're gonna do that anyway. Uh, I do think there is, you know, an argument of should people get more in unemployment when they made when they were working? Yes. You no, know, yes. it is harder to determine because it requires a little bit more documentation to prove what you got. But m- most people who are working can show what their last paycheck was. So you could probably calculate it. OK, well, what was your last paycheck? Well, your unemployment shouldn't be more than that. Just mm-hmm. just to make sure that if your employer calls you back and offers you the job back, you take it. Yes. Otherwise, listen. A lot of people want to work, but a lot of people, you know, if if you offer them six hundred dollars a week and they normally make three fifty a week, they might say, you know what, I I'll take six hundred a week and I'll not work. I know a lot of people may not, but <laughs> some people are doing that, and I hear from employees that people are doing that. Yes, yes, John. John, you've been following this pretty closely. Um, uh, so the Democrats passed a a, a bill uh, which was going to be called, like, I think, the Harrow's Act. Uh, which was yeah heroes act and it was going to pay it was continue to six hundred dollars a week up through the end of january which by the way gets you through the presidential election in november the the republicans were pitching somewhere in the ballpark of two hundred dollars a week and then it was going to be changing it would be stepped down as you go forward and a percentage would be based on how much you're making i don't know somewhere in that ballpark so so john can you sort of uh, what what's the latest politically without getting into politics what what's being said on both sides in terms of um by, yeah, by the almost- national so yeah, the Democrats through the Heroes Act uh, wanted the full, the full ask. They wanted the six hundred um, six hundred a week. They wanted a bunch of other items. Some of it may you know may 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 have something to do with the um, uh, stimulus and may not. Uh, some some uh, line items that the Republicans didn't agree with. And um, then here comes Trump to save the day. He's they can't come to an agreement. He does the cha cha cha. He makes all these executive actions. Um, and one of them was, you know, giving everybody 400, which people think is reasonable. But what happened was they state to pay 100 of that 400. And if the states do not agree to that, they get nothing. That's that's and, my reading of this. So, and, 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 and gentlemen, didn't didn't I read somewhere that the money is actually coming from FEMA, Federal Emergency yes. Disaster, rather than the actual, uh, you know, the same source uh, uh, as the original uh, six hundred dollars a week. Yeah, anybody know anything about he, that? He can't go further into deficit to do this. He has to take money that's allocated already. So he's like, okay, okay well, there was money for FEMA. So instead of spending it on what uh, FEMA purposes for you know disaster relief, I'll say, okay, well, this is sort of a disaster. So I'll, I'll reallocate it for for this for unemployment. Uh, but then the question is, where do the states get their money? Can they take money that they already got for? For COVID relief and put it towards this. What if they've already used this money? And then how do they allocate it? If it's not unemployment technically, can they allocate it using the unemployment system, or do they have to come up with a new system? And how long will that take? Well, that's the question, and that's that's exactly what they're all saying is 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 down the pipe. Is that they, it's going to take months to implement this? It's a whole new system. It's not the old system, and it's a, a complete disaster waiting to happen. And if I can make a real <laughs> quick point. Real quick point on his fourth executive action, which yeah. was the uh, exp- extension of the moratorium on evictions. It was, okay. it was not a moratorium. They were suggestions. They were um, d- several different items they will look at. It's not, in, it's not in, in set in stone now that they will get um, you know, a moratorium. All it is suggestions to be looked at. So that, again, was more um, you know, smoke and whistles. Interesting. Um... You know, uh, everybody's looking for money. Somebody who's definitely looking for money right now is Richard Branson, and this will be story number yes. three. This is going to come out. Of, this is going to come out of the Miami Herald. And and keep in mind, um, um, 
Branson's been making a big move to come into South Florida for quite some time. He had a brand new cruise line that was set to launch Virgin. It was set to launch in March and, and the uh, inaugural cruise basically had to be postponed as a result of COVID breaking when it did. Um, uh, he, he also bought and joint ventured with uh, a group. I think it's Fortress who was doing the uh, Brightline rail, which takes you from Miami. It's commuter rail, which takes you a uh, high end commuter rail. Takes from Miami to West Palm, and ultimately is going to go to um, is going to go to Orlando. Well, coming uh, stories coming out of the Miami Herald uh, headline: Brightline cuts ties with Virgin Enterprises. No more rebranding, but project continues. Headline: uh, The lead is Brightline Trains has cut ties with Virgin Enterprises. Will no longer be rebranding under them. Nearly two year agreement has ended. So, what say you, Oscar? What, what do you make of Richard Branson? What do you make of uh, uh, Virgin cutting ties with uh, Brightline in South Florida? So their numbers are not where where they need to be in terms of ridership and just looking at the unemployment numbers, you know, Florida has got a huge problem. So looking back from December of 2019, the unemployment rate for South Florida was 2.2%. Okay. And then, and then in January, 2.4, February, 2.3, March 4.1, which is when this whole thing began with COVID, right? Yep. April jumped to 13.4. In May, it was 13.4, and then in June, it dropped a little to 11.3, but that's massive. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. people are not writing. They don't have the money to write. Who's going to Disney World? I mean, plus, Disney. Plus, plus, keep in mind, there's limited service in terms of how often Brightline's operating because a lot of people are working from home due to the pandemic. They're all on exactly, Zoom. Exactly. Exactly. So now they're trying to negotiate a more uh, local kind of situation for the train, but it's not there yet. So supposedly they're still working on the disney uh connection which i guess the fact that it's been taking so long is good for them because hopefully by the time it's ready to go this covid thing will be under control and people will will be going back to disney but disney's taking a huge hit everybody is so it makes sense that branson is cutting cutting his ties because he's not going to make any money not for quite some time. And J- John, you know, it sort of reminds me every time an out of towner comes in here, they try to lay down a, a stake and they try to plant the flag and make a big deal out of it. Lo and behold, the market goes to shit on them. They end up losing their ass and the locals end up uh, taking back everything that they, where they put the money in. Is this uh, is this a different situation or is this the typical Miami hustle? Now, granted, nobody could have anticipated the pandemic. But that being said, the overall makeup of it seems very, very, very familiar. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it is a typical Miami hustle. But it's not intentional. Um, Nobody could have seen the pandemic. Um, You know, there's a lot of structural issues uh, on the marketing side, too. I mean, uh, you know, Bronson, he's having a lot of problems. Uh, Just a week prior to this announcement, uh, his Virgin Atlantic went BK. Um, There was also an announcement, I think, just a few days before this announcement, that um, Brightline was going to cancel plans to open a Boca station. I guess they had that was in the works for a while. Bo- I don't know Boca why Boca, and but... Aventura and the port of my uh, port of Miami, the seaport. They port Miami. That too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That, they scrapped that before this story. So I'm wondering if all this stuff was happening behind the scenes. Obviously, it was. And, um, you know, this is, uh, you know, to answer your question, this is a <laughs> it seems like, a, you know, a deja vu all over again when it comes to the Miami hustle. And. And what, what, what say you, Brian? Yeah, so, so the South Florida Business Journal was the first paper to report that Virgin and Brightline were splitting up. Uh, th- this is very interesting because I was actually on the train with Sir Richard Branson of Virgin when they were making this big announcement and doing all the hoopla. Nice. And, and they were, you know, this was a big marketing deal. The, the plan was you have Virgin Airways bringing passengers from Europe to Florida you know, to yep. go on their new cruise line. Yep. go to the resorts in Orlando, take their vacation packages, and then the train was going to be the connector. And, and yep. this is going to bring a lot of passengers. But now, you know, with the pandemic, you know, Virgin Airways is, uh, you know, uh, in a lot of trouble. It's, you know, in the verge of bankruptcy, and they haven't been able to launch Virgin Cruises. Obviously, there's not really selling many vacation packages uh, right now for Europeans in Florida. So, you know, th- that's made it tough. It's been a, a cash crunch for Virgin. Uh, so unfortunately, they weren't able to do it. But now Brightline, they don't have that marketing power of Virgin. So well, yes. people in South Florida know Brightline. People in Europe don't. A lot of visitors don't. And, and they need exactly. to figure out how are they going to get bring people to their trains. 
wow, what a disaster of a situation. Yeah. I mean, just think if they would have done it a year earlier, it probably would have been a completely different scenario. At least they would have had some, you know, some sea legs at that point. But just coming out fresh and getting hit with the pandemic and everything else, what a nightmare scenario. Yeah, it's it's tough time. Uh, but I guess their hope is that by the time the Orlando leg opens, that the pandemic will be off because their moneymaker is South Florida to Orlando, but they needed the theme parks to be humming yes. in order for that to really work. So yeah. that's what that's what they're hoping for. You know, I was watching I was watching CNBC, right? I listen to CNBC regularly. I always have it on the background. And a lot of the analysts are saying that Disney, for the most part, they're, uh, they're saying it's not going to get anywhere close to being what it was prior to the pandemic, probably for uh, till about 2023, 2024 is what the early projections were. And it could be even worse than that, depending on, you know, whether or not we get a vaccine and how quickly it's out there. Yeah. And, that, and that's a problem for Brightline because that's what, that's what they were counting on that, that Orlando yeah. to South Florida pipeline of people. So yeah. We'll, we'll see how, how quickly people are comfortable going to Disney and all these tourists are comfortable coming back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, um, so I'll tell you what, guys, why don't, why don't we wrap up uh, this segment of the Condo Vultures podcast? We'll take a break. And on the other side, we're going to hit you with three more headlines. All of them are going to be uh, focused primarily in the Miami area, and they're going to be real estate related. So um, stay tuned. We'll catch you on the other side. Don't buy a South Florida condo discounted or distressed before taking a Condo Vultures correction tour. CondoVultures.com offers weekly bus and walking tours that focus on educating buyers on the how-tos of identifying discounted condos, analyzing the opportunities, and purchasing units. Every tour attendee receives a list of all condo projects in a particular market, a market assessment handout, and unmatched expert analysis. For more information on the condo correction tours, please visit condovultures.eventbrite.com or call 305-865-5859. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm Peter Zalewski. I have Brian Mandel of the South Florida Business Journal. I have John Fackler. He's a private consultant, but a former journalist. And who I don't have is Oscar Musavai. Oscar's having some sort of situation. He's no longer involved with this podcast. Uh, no one Oscar, he might just reappear, but we'll sort of see about that. So, um, so guys, it's the three of us. Uh, I, I probably, you know, the way I would look at it is we got the three brains and we sort of, you know, it was a, a thinning of the herd and we got rid of the one who was a little bit uh, more challenged. What, <laughs> what, what, what do you say to that? <laughs> I like so, that. <laughs> so, so what, what we got for the first story, this is going to come out of the real deal. Uh, let me pull it up in front of me. Okay. Um, headline is Miami world center developer sells site to, Abhi Capital for $24 million. The property is next to Akara Partners' planned mixed-use project. So effectively what's going on is the Miami World Center, which is uh, effectively the hole in the donut. If anybody gets a visual of uh, sort of Miami-Dade County, you, you had Coconut Grove and the Gables, you had Brickle, you have Miami Beach, you have Aventura, you have all these places. But right in the center of the city, effectively there was nothing. It was a ghost, ghost town, if you will. So people always called it, they referred to it as the hole in the donut, the hole in the bagel, whatever you want to uh, call it. So uh, two developers have uh, put forward, uh, going all the way back to the last real estate cycle in the um, uh, mid-2000s, they they wanted to build this Miami World Center concept. Ultimately, the Great Recession stopped that. They then uh, came forward. They're going forward with it again. And uh, lo and behold, Amazon comes around. The anchor tenant, which is going to be Bloomingdale's and Macy's, they decide they're no longer in. So now you have a series of towers that are going up, which has basically changed uh, its whole face. And what the developer is doing is he's effectively selling off some parcels. Recently sold off one parcel, and now this is the second parcel to be sold off uh, for about $24 million to Abhi Capital. Um, uh, Brian, you want to take this one to, uh, to start? Because I think you have a relationship, or are you written about these guys in the past? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually uh, interviewed the folks at Abhi Capital. Uh, there's some, you know, Sankash Abhi heads that company, and he's a been an investor in many different types of businesses, a lot of healthcare businesses as well. So okay, it, it's a it's a long term play for him. He he like property. He's not submitting a site plan right now. Being patient, but he, he, there's a lot of flexibility. He can go residential. He could do hotel. Uh, you know, he could add a certain amount of retail or office if he wants. So he's going to see how this shakes out. Uh, yep. You know, and he feels like you know he got it for a, a good price here. Yep, and it looks like $24 million for a 1.5-acre parcel. It's effectively on 10th Street and Northeast 2nd Avenue. Yeah, it's near the 11th Street uh, Metro Mover Station, uh, and, and you're going to see a lot of activity there. You're going to see a, 
Akara Partners is going to be moved forward more quickly with an apartment complex there uh, okay. called Connect Miami. Uh, and that, that's going to be about 79 stories. Uh, so, yeah, there's going to be a lot of development there. Wow, wow, wow. Now, now, now it, uh, also Convention Center. Wasn't there a Convention Center that at some point was going to be planned there with a large hotel? And the idea was it was all going to connect to the Bright Line. Anybody remembers we were just talking in the last segment about the Bright Line and Virgin and this train system that would take you from downtown Miami to downtown Fort Lauderdale, down to West Palm, and ultimately mm-hmm. Orlando. Um, Brian, any, any word on the Convention Center and the hotel? Um, I mean, is it even feasible anymore, at least for the foreseeable yeah, I mean, future? That's the, part that, that's the part that was moving slower. Okay. Uh, the company that owns that, MDM, they, you know, they, that was the old Miami Marina site, uh, Miami Arena, where the Heat used to play back in the day. Way uh, back that when. Was torn down. Yeah, I know. Yep. So they just haven't really gotten out of the ground with it. They haven't completely finalized things. And, and that was before the pandemic. And now during the pandemic, I mean, the idea that you're going to build the largest hotel in Miami in a convention center at this time, uh, you know, good luck finding a bank to finance it. Uh, that That's the part that's a little tough because they were hoping that hotel would throw some more energy in Miami World Center. And they were also hoping the retail portion would throw, uh, create some energy. And, and right now we, ha- we don't have any retail openings yet. They haven't announced any leases yet. Uh, I know they were hoping to finish some more construction. You know, you know, you don't want to open retail shops in the middle of a construction zone. That's so for they sure. were hoping to finish some <laughs> of that first. Uh, but but still, the, you know, the pandemic makes it a little bit harder to, to find people to be in those retail shops. Yeah, yeah. Now, 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 now John, um, talking about retail, uh, they're yeah. in this real estate cycle. We have the Brickell City Center going up, which was north of a billion-dollar development. It's a mixed-use it's got office space, hotel, it's got condos, it's got uh, some real rock star types of uh, retail. We also have the Zine District, which is a little bit farther north, where you have the Louis Vuitton brand and, and, and LVMH. Uh, and now we got the Miami World Center. Is there really a need for retail or, or should, should the developer of the Miami World Center just, you know, and you're not necessarily, uh, real estate isn't like your, your exactly forte, but just somebody yeah. who's been on the ground here for quite some time. Do we really need yeah. more retail or would you recommend that uh, possibly they do more of this hotel or office or, or, or condo with just a little bit of retail and not way too much? Yeah, that makes a lot more sense to me. Um, you know, it's um, the pandemic almost was like it like brought the perfect storm because, you know, you, you had a lot of people, you know, trending away from um, from retail. You know, a lot of people shopping online, a lot of the retailers moving online. Of course, the you know the upper upper scale places like the design district and downtown. Of course, people like to shop, but yep, I don't know. I I just feel that the mix should be changed. Um, also, you know, it, it appears to me like I mean, you have two plots being sold. A third one will be a trend, and to me, it, you know that that once you start looking at a trend, you know, are they cutting bait and running? Is I mean, the developer is cutting bait. You guys know better than I do as far as the cost of the dirt. How is that price seen to you compared to, let's say, you know, the last cycle? Well, 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 Brian, Brian, on the on the Abbey purchase, like like you said, you you don't know what he's going to do with it yet. So if he goes residential versus office versus something else, so yeah. you know, I, I don't really know how you would you know assess whether or not it's a good deal or not. But what I will tell you is the previous deal that closed, the one right next door, and closed in July, so it closed the previous month. Looks like that one traded for about eighteen point nine million dollars versus this one, which was twenty four million. What I don't have is the uh, the uh, amount of land that was involved with the first transaction. So in July, uh, Akara Partners paid uh, $18.9 million for about 36,000 square feet at Miami World Center. Okay. So it's a, you know, a, a bit of a smaller site and a little bit less money there. But, but yep. they, you know, they already had a, a development plan ready to go. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, you know, comparable, similar. Yeah. And, and um, I, I, I don't know who said it, Brian, maybe you said it or maybe I read it somewhere, but, but uh, isn't Akara and, and Abby, don't they have some sort of relationship or something as well? Or they know each other? They have friendly? a friendly relationship. Uh, um, Abby mentioned that, you know, he knows the people at Akara and, and, and you know, and they kind of, uh, you know, when they bought there, he also saw the value in it. So, yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. So who knows? Maybe sometime in the future, they, uh, he can join uh, joint venture throw the dirt in, let them build something on top of it and, uh, you know, go forward, which is what a lot of people did this uh, real estate cycle. You know, I'm thinking about like uh, uh, Crescent Heights was, uh, you had Alan Morris doing it. You, you had a bunch of others who owned the dirt and they basically uh, joint ventured with somebody who wanted to build it. So interesting, 
Interesting. Yeah, and, um, and okay. In some cases, Miami World Center did joint ventures, and in some case, they acted, you know, like a master developer, and they just sold property to, uh, to other people. Yeah, no, that that's a great point. A lot of that went on in Midtown Miami as well, didn't it, didn't it Brian? With um, uh, uh, with, with a lot of the the, the, the retail pads uh, that were located, you know, the, toward towards the train tracks. You know, right over there around like Midtown, what is it, Midtown 5, Midtown 6? Yeah, yeah. So, they, yeah they, brought, they brought in some retail specialists, basically, to, to develop yep. the retail. And, you know, they focused on some of the apartments. And, you know, later, you know, big national companies decided to come in and take advantage of the rezoning. So they sold it off. So, you know, when, when you're a master developer, you, you rezone an area, you don't have to do it all yourself. You know, sometimes you, you, you know, do a couple projects to get it started, get the ball rolling, and then you... You know, take advantage of that success by you know selling off the dirt to someone else, and you know let them uh, you know take the risk of building. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now for headline number five. Now I, I get a lot of grief. We get a lot of grief because everything's too negative, negative, negative. We actually got a positive story, and the author is going to be no one else but Brian Bendel himself. This comes from the South Florida Business Journal. Headline is: Canadian developer proposes waterfront condo in Fort Lauderdale. It looks like there's going to be a 15-story tower proposed with uh, about 108 units going up on the south side of Oakland Park um, Boulevard, right at the causeway. So when you go from the mainland over to the Barrier Island up in the Fort Lauderdale area, a uh, Canadian group out of Ottawa, Canada, uh, they bought an office tower, but they want to go for it with a condo sometime in the future. Brian, good, good, good story. Is this a sign that the market's turning, or are these people just taking advantage of an opportunity? Kind of land bank, and when the time is right, they'll knock down the office tower and put up a a, a residential tower. Well, I, I think this is a uh, Claridge, a, a developer from Ottawa, where where pretty much all their projects are in Ottawa. I think they're seeing an opportunity in Fort Lauderdale. I think huh. they see a lot of Canadians like this market. They won't want to own there. There's also empty nesters like this area, and I think they see you know there's a there's a property right on the intercoastal right now has an old office building. Yeah, uh, that could be much more valuable if it was a condo. Got it, got it, got it. You know, it, it makes me think of uh, in Hallandale Beach Boulevard, the related group put up something called the Beach Walk, which is a condo hotel, and it's on the other side of the causeway. Not uh, again, it's very similar to this site where people could basically buy buy a place there. They could stay uh, primarily it was marketed towards Canadians. They could stay there when they were in town. Otherwise, they could put it in the program. When you were there, you simply just walk across the causeway, and boom, you're on the sand. Uh, and cl- this Claridge project on Oakland Park Boulevard, it looks like it could be similar. Yeah, you're you're very close to the beach. You know, quick quick drive away. Uh, you know, you're uh, so it'll probably be a little bit less expensive than uh, than the beach rent condos, but still close enough. You know, so that's a good location. I spoke to the architect today, uh, Richard Berry, and he said they were going to do a bit of a redesign. So the renderings that are on the story are to, are going to change. Uh, okay. They're probably going to do three towers. Uh, instead of one taller tower. Uh, so, yeah, there'll be a bit of a redesign, but they still seem uh, pretty bullish about moving forward with it. Ah, interesting. And did, was there any indication uh, whether they're going to lean in the condo hotel um, uh, uh, type of model or it was going to be straight up condos? You know, obviously things can change by the time they go forward. But any it's, indication or a combination of the two? It seemed like only condos. Um, only Claire condos, is, okay. It's strictly a residential company. So I Got think they'll, they'll do it as only condos. Uh, and the design showed fairly large units. You know, a lot of them like 2,000 2, square feet, some 4,000 square feet. So I think they're they're doing it for people to actually uh, use it, not not be sort of like an investment play. Got it. Got it. Which makes sense. Now, now John, you've been, you've been living in Broward for, or you were living in Broward forever and ever and ever, and you moved down to Miami, um, you know, last five, 10 years, something like that. But um, Oakland Park Boulevard, anybody doesn't know where it is, uh, some would consider like a northern outpost of, um, of, Fort, of Fort Lauderdale, uh, uh, downtown Fort Lauderdale Beach area. Sunrise is probably more likely, but some people could say it could get stretched. Um, Oakland Park Boulevard might have some opportunity because there's a lot of rundown antiquated properties that are underutilized and it's a main thoroughfare. People going from the barrier island to the mainland. Uh, what, what do you think, John? Am I crazy? Is a Miami guy or am I into something? Well, Peter, I think you you recall, I'm sure, back in the last cycle, investors, I'm not just because uh, there was you know the um, the currency issues with the Canadian loonie, but there was some serious and you know interest in buying out um, closer to the coast, Canadian uh, Um Do you recall that back in the back in the day? Um, yeah, I remember a bunch of. 
I remember a bunch of buildings going up and even in this, this cycle, uh, you know, some, so there was some serious progress. You have, um, uh, you, you have a number of buildings, like I think 3030 is right over there, a condo development. You had yeah. the, uh, the related group project, which was the, uh, Auberge beach, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, and you had some others. So it looks like the development's finally kind of getting up that way uh, where yeah. most of the time it had stopped about sunrise Boulevard. A long-term play just because of that interest that was there before and because they love Broward, uh, you know, Broward on the coast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's, now, yeah, yeah Broward, Broward and Palm Beach counties, those are two of the biggest places in the United States for Canadians uh, buying real estate. So, yeah, there, there's definitely a draw here. Interesting. And, uh, yeah, what, what the hell? I mean, uh, you can't come up with a better reason to come to Florida, especially during the winter, and write it off as a business expense and then actually buy some dirt. And come down here and do some analysis and, uh, you know, kick some tires. So I'm sure a lot of Canadians who would, uh, mm-hmm. you know, raise their hand and jump in on that uh, come they, they uh, December, will. Once, January. Once the pandemic is done, when, with the pandemic right now, I think we'll make, <laughs> we might be fewer fewer Canadians this winter. But in a normal winter, yeah. yes. <laughs> That's for sure. That's for sure. All right, gentlemen. Uh, story number six. And I want to bring this up because to me, um, uh, this is more of to do with the cycle. Uh, a cycle. So I got down here in 1993 and I've seen this over and over and over. Typically what happens at the end of a real estate cycle, and I would argue that this cycle began 11, 12, somewhere around there. What happens at the end of a real estate cycle is the feds who are watching all the corrupt politicians, they take them down near the end because no other business can go down and they figure, okay, you know, we got as much as we can get. And what you also see is you tend to see Ponzi scheme types, uh, the hustlers, uh, money dries up, they can't bring new cash in, and then uh, they start to get exposed. So we start to hear about all types of, uh, you know, the crazy stuff that was going on. Much like what Warren Buffett says, you don't know who's naked until the tide goes out. Um, so so this would be a headline. It's come from uh, Channel 10, Local 10, WPLG. This is the ABC affiliate down here in Miami. Headline is, FBI raids Miami office during probe into billionaires' alleged money laundering ring. And let me give you the lead. FBI agents raided the 55th floor office overlooking Biscayne Bay in downtown Miami on Tuesday. The search for evidence is part of a money laundering investigation related to alleged bank fraud in the Ukraine. Now, apparently what was going on, and, and this is, uh, this is kind of, uh, in the article, there's a quote from uh, an FBI uh, special agent in Cleveland, a woman named Vicki Anderson. She told the ABC uh, News affiliate in Cleveland, the raid in Miami was connected to a raid at the offices of the Optima Management Group, commercial real estate management investment firm based in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, so guys, is this sort of the beginning of, uh, you know, Hey, okay. All the bad guys are probably going to get exposed now because the money's drying up, uh, the real estate hustles, the flips, everything else where you can keep the things going. It's all coming to an end. Or do you think this is maybe a, you know, a, a one-off, uh, anomaly? I think they've been looking at uh, money laundering for a number of years and they already, uh, started monitoring a lot of the cash transactions, uh, that are going on for homes here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that there's a, there's a lot of uh, focus to try and catch, you know, drug laundering, money from corrupt politicians from, from Latin America. They've gone on a lot of the uh, Venezuelan money. Yep. So I, I think you're going to see more of this. I think they're going to continue to be aggressive here. Now, 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 John, you remember last go around, you had two. Uh, the Broward uh, hustler was uh, Scott Rothstein. He basically had a factoring company where he told some people, yeah, 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 we got all these people who have... Um, they have claims coming their way. It's going to take 20 years for the insurance to pay it off. Uh, the guy wants cash up front. Right. If you, you know, you give him 80% of it or whatever the number is, and I'm making that up, uh, basically you, you can buy yeah. that and it almost becomes like an annuity. And then the one in uh, right. Miami was Nevin Shapiro. He effectively was a, right. was a guy who was raising cash. He wanted to become the agent for some um, uh, University of Miami as well as other football, uh, rising football stars. But what he ended up apparently doing was he, he was gambling. He was trying to use inside information to gamble. And apparently yeah. he wasn't very good at it. And when everything yeah. collapsed, the two guys basically were the poster childs of, yeah. uh, uh, of effectively the shenanigans going on down here. So uh, this, you know, there's a Cleveland connection, at least according to the FBI. But yeah. uh, is this similar or, or do you, uh, to what happened last time or is it different? Um, it's similar, but it, it seems like a different wrinkle. Um, you know, of course, you know, Miami's uh, the land of the Ponzi scheme. But, um, you know, when you heard about these transactions in the past, these fraudulent real estate transactions, it usually had to do with units, as Brian had talked about previously. 
this sounds like a different wrinkle in that it's commercial and it's office related. So it's almost like it's a, on a larger scale on the real estate uh, side of this rather than individual units. You're looking at my understanding. This was a the Cleveland entity dealt, dealt in commercial and office uh, property. So that's that's the new wrinkle. But 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 the overall, uh, you know, what, what why is it being exposed, I guess, today? That that's kind of the point I'm making. And, yep. and like I said, typically the politicians go down. And there's been a number of politicians that got indicted down here uh, a couple of years back. And now to see one of these Ponzi scheme uh, types of scenarios, I just thought it was interesting. No, so, it is. Well, I guess everybody, we'll, everybody's cutting bait. Yeah. I now guess we'll have to watch. You're going to see people who, you know, they had schemes going and they run out of money because, you know, they're they're getting hurt. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to lose out on it. But you're, you're also going to see people who maybe get in trouble because they have a legitimate business and they want to try and do something illegal to keep it keep it going you know yeah. sometimes that'll happen too yeah 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 the good old co uh, co-mingling yeah <laughs> i remember us nice. talking about the co-mingling uh during the the last cycle the last downturn it's the first time i heard people talking about co-mingling and here we are again you were exactly. actually south florida is one of the leaders in defrauding the payroll protection program those ppp loans <laughs> who like went out and bought a lamborghini with that money so <laughs> You know, they did. It's crazy. It's funny. Think about it. We're like the capital for Medicare fraud and social, you know, and uh, identity theft fraud and money laundering. It's like, you know, there's a new kind of fraud. Like, we were all over. Well, we're number one well, right away. Well, Brian, you remember back in the day, you and I used to do the investigative stories. We used to find all these sociopath CEOs of these companies, these bulletin board companies. These guys were maniacs. And Brian and I were putting these guys away back and forth with our stories. Yeah, yeah, the boiler rooms too. So yeah, you, you you have to believe. You know, if there's a new innovative kind of fraud, it'll it'll be developed in South Florida. Yeah. Well, on on that note, uh, why don't we shut down our second segment of the uh, kind of Vultures podcast? On the other side of this commercial break, we're going to ask the uh, panel of experts to make some predictions. So you, the audience, you have something to look forward to. So uh, stay tuned. Hi, this is Oscar Musabai from Influence Communications. In this age of coronavirus. Nothing is more important than keeping your current customers and attracting new ones. And at Influence Communications, we are expert at reaching out to the media and letting them know that your business is open and the services that you provide. And our expertise is in adaptation, helping businesses change their messaging on a regular basis to make sure that they are keeping up with what is happening and what the market is demanding. And we also specialize in reaching out to Spanish language media to get your story out. So please call me, Oscar Musabai, 786-348-9257. That's 786-348-9257. 786-348-9257. Thank you. Welcome back to the Kind of Vultures podcast. I'm Peter Zalewski. We have Brian Bandel. We have John Fackler. And Oscar Musabai is still missing in action. Um, you know, I don't know. We, we might have to give him some sort of lessons about how to use a phone. So, so gentlemen, this is a fun segment. This is where uh, uh, we all make a prediction about something coming down the pike. We're trying to give the audience something, not insider information, but best guesstimate as to uh, something that might be occurring, especially in the South Florida area, whether it does to do with real estate, the uh, economics, and increasingly people have been looking at or talking about everything from sports to politics. So, um why don't we start with Brian? Brian, Brian, what do you, what, what, what's something you would see, you can see, you foresee coming down the pike? Well, it was reported this week that Amazon was in talks with Simon Property Group to take some of the uh, spaces and make them distribution centers. Uh, I think okay. this deal is going to happen. I think this makes a lot of sense because there's just too many big boxes that are vacated by companies like Sears and JCPenney's to fill. There's really mm-hmm. not any kind of retailer that wants to go in there. So I think if Amazon is, is wants to do it, I think Simon will, will uh, take them up on this offer. Interesting. Interesting. You know, Brian, Brian uh, related to that, uh, again, I, I CNBC always got in the background. One of the things they were talking about is they, that the, the way the hotels have been devastated with um, uh, nobody traveling because of the pandemic, that there's actually some talk about turning some of these hotels into micro unit residences to deal with affordable housing. So uh, talk about creative uh, situations arising from, uh, you know, technology as well as the pandemic. Yes. Yes. Some hotels have been used uh, to house the homeless. Fort Lauderdale housed the homeless in a hotel. 
for until they ran out of money. Um, New York has done that uh, to uh, mixed results. To say, to yep, say yep, least. yep. Uh, and now some some areas have used hotels to isolate people who test positive for COVID, which is actually yep. a good idea because listen, a lot of people test positive when they stay in the house with their family and infect their family. It actually to put them in a hotel room by themselves. And if everyone in the hotel has COVID, then you know, you're not going to infect more people. You all have it already. So yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know how, how much they've done that in Florida. I know some areas have done it. Um, but that's another way, uh, another way to give hotels some kind of business. Yeah, true. But, but some of these analysts were saying, our experts were talking about maybe permanently taking like an extended stay type of hotel, which has a little kitchen area, and basically turning that stuff, changing the zoning or whatever, turning it into a full-time residency. You could, you could do that if there's enough demand for uh, residency. It's, po- yeah. it's possible, you know. Hopefully there'll be enough people who are able to pay the rent. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And still no result to uh, 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 stimulus package number, what, four, uh, based on the pandemic. So, uh, John, what, what's a, yeah. what, what are you going to predict? And, and, and right. go out on the limb here. You know, make, make, make some sort of statement. Don't give us the wishy-washy always, no, oh, no. this major league team, this professional this, football no, no, league, got, blah, blah, blah. I got, I got, a, I got a statement. If I, so I'm going to go um, a bold prediction. If this thing comes true, this prediction, I want some kudos. Okay? Um, I believe that Pelosi and Schumer, the leaders of the House and the Senate, are going to ride the coattails of the Biden-Harris ticket announced um, uh, Tuesday that, I'm sorry, Wednesday, that, and they will now, they don't want to be upstage, so they're going to ride their coattails and they're going to jump in and make a deal on the extended unemployment and the four, uh, the executive uh, actions that Trump is trying to, um, trying to make. And they're going to come in and they're going to make a deal and they're going to get a better deal than Trump is giving. So now you're going to have the, the very popular Biden Harris ticket combined with Schumer and Pelosi giving everybody what they want. And it's just going to bolster the democratic ticket going into the election. I know, but how does, how does that work? If this, if this, uh, the, the Republicans still only want to give it $200 a, a week versus the $600 a week that the Democrats want to get for those who are well, unemployed. Well, and, and obviously there's other issues, but that seems to be the one that everybody's really jammed up on. Well, they're going to come in and they're going to get a better deal right now. It's, Trump is essentially giving 300, not 400. They're going to come in and they're going to get them to agree to 400. But and how are they going to get the Republicans to go up to 400? I, it's just a prediction. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm, I'm, I'm predicting okay. that, Fair enough. that Trump, Trump is not going to want to deal with the, with the uh, specifics or the administrative part of this, and that um, he's going to have them, you know, sort of willy-nilly and, and make himself look good somehow, but still – that Schumer and Pelosi are going to get their way. Huh, interesting. That, well, that'll be something to see. And we'll definitely now, hold you to that one. That, that one's going to play out soon. If, not, if nothing passes, it's going to be a real problem for our economy. I mean, no, absolutely. If, if, if this, if all the reasons out here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my, my original prediction was that um, if they didn't come to a degree, an agreement by the end of this week, that it's going to be a disaster economically, um, the rental moratorium is going to end. People are going to get thrown in the street. And the, everybody's going to, at the very last minute, want to avoid that. So, Interesting. Um, and then for my prediction, well, I had a conversation with a, um, a former banker. Guy's been uh, in the business, was in the business, advises for the business for a number of, number of, number of years. He's talking about how a number of uh, tenants are not paying their commercial landlords and as a result of the CARES Act and, and regulators are permitting and allowing uh, banks to keep the loans current and not have to shift any money in loan loss reserved in case the loans go bad. He's predicting that uh, the call reports, the, uh, the, the financials, if you will, that the banks have to put out in the third quarter are going to start to reflect really what's going on. And um, so my prediction is come fourth quarter, I think we're going to have a banking crisis. I think we're going to have some sort of situation where the banks are really going to get squeezed and and the Fed is going to have to dig in their pockets and do even more just to prop up the banks. Because if the banks go, then we really got some uh, problems on our hand besides the $600 unemployment and, and, and all the other things. So my prediction is Q4 banking crisis. Why the, why the, why the banks are doing so well in the stock market right now, the whole banking 
the financial sector is doing okay. Not great, but well, well, emotion. it's not. It's not running. It's not running like the tech companies or anything no, like that. No, no, no. Yeah, Brian, do you have any opinion about the um, uh, about the banks, especially uh, you know the the exposure they have on the on the loans, not residential, but the commercial loans? Another bank ballot sounds like. <laughs> That's where we want to put our tax money, right? Yeah, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of banks that are nervous right now. They they keep extending these loans um, and trying to make nice and trying to give them uh, deferrals on payments. But yep. at some point, you got to pay. We're going to get to the fourth quarter, and you're going to have some loans like for the big ones. You no, know, they haven't paid their mortgages since April or May, and then the examiner examiners are going to come and they'll be like, "Look, guys, you, you can't say this is a current loan. You can't say this is a good loan anymore." You need to say this is a bad loan. You need to appraise the property and you need to value the loan at whatever the property is worth. And banks don't want to know. They don't want yep. the answer of these appraisals because it's not going to be pretty. That's right. That's right. Great. So um, that uh, why don't we shut down this uh, segment of the Condo Vultures podcast. Um, in the final segment, we're going to get into comments. Um, so you, the audience, if there's anything you want to tell us, do you want to get, tell us we're doing well, we're doing bad, any suggestions, indicators, anything like that, Feel free to send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. So on the other side of the break, uh, we'll hear those comments. Challenging times for real estate calls for experts that help you to navigate the new normal in the process of buying or selling property in South Florida. At CBR Realty, we listen carefully and advise based on stats, local knowledge, and experience. For more information, call us at 305-865-5800. Five nine or visit our website cbrrealty.com. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures podcast. I'm Peter Zalewski, the host. This is the comments section of our podcast. It's segment number four. I have Oscar Musabai, I have Brian Bendel, and I have uh, John Fackler. This is the time when you, the audience, you get to uh, write into us, tell us what you think, what whether we're doing good, we're doing bad. Um, you know, offering suggestions, anything like that. So we want to hear from you. If you want to send us an email, send it to inquiryatecondovultures.com. I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. So, John, what, uh, how many comments do we have, and, 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 and what do they say? Uh, we've got one comment, but it's very lengthy, uh, detailed, and it's also from one of our regular listeners, Ilya, and um, has some very interesting things to say about your podcast, our podcast, 27 and 28, as well as the roundtable. Okay, well, so, so a very interesting uh, point about Ilya, the gentleman who wrote in. Um, uh, Ilya is, uh, actually the subject of our guest interview, which will be podcast number 30 comes out on Thursday. Uh, very fascinating, uh, individual. He's a data guy. He's an IT guy. He's been involved with real estate. He sort of learned the hard way how to buy real estate in South Florida. Got so pissed off by getting hustled so many times, investing his own money, decided to get his license. And now he's representing investors primarily coming from, uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, but he does represent some domestics. And acquiring property up there in the Treasure Coast, which is Martin, uh, uh, St. Lucie, and Indian River Counties. So if you want to hear more about Ilya, he's got a great story. That'll be podcast number 30, which is going to come out on Thursday. Thursday. So, John, what, what does Ilya have to say in the comments? I'm going to give you his three different points. And maybe after each point, you can describe a little, a little bit about the podcast for all listeners. Okay. Um, first comment, he talks about uh, Shapiro, calls him basically a maverick. Um, he thinks his numbers are probably a bit off since he hasn't been doing he, what he was doing was 15 years ago, but the major, majority of his information is extremely valuable. Um, so maybe you can. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so th- this is going to go back to a podcast. This would have been podcast number. Let, let, let me look it up really quickly while we're talking. Everybody. Okay. It sounds like somebody, a pot fell on somebody's head back there. Yeah. <laughs> a, a pot. <laughs> So, so what, what, what the, uh, uh, what the podcast is, is with a uh, developer guy put up 7,000 units, a billion dollar, uh, valuation on the units. He teaches at the university of Miami. He's an expert witness. He's a member of the urban land Institute. Uh, he's basically well-connected. He's brought in as an expert and lawsuits, things like that. So everybody keeps saying that he's out of touch with it. You know, I wonder if they're not out of touch, the information they're getting all due respect, Ilya. The information that uh, is being put out of there a lot of times is coming from a developer, and developers are in the process of selling real estate. They're going to try to tell you the costs are much more expensive than they are. Why? Because they're going to try to get more money out of your pocket. So if you understand what their profit margin is, then you're going to say, hmm, okay, well, that's not so bad. 
But if they lie to you or they mislead you based on what they're really spending versus what they, they tell you they're spending, it's a big difference. That's why I always said there's two sets of books in every development uh, group. One is what the uh, salespeople are told. So when somebody walks in, they talk to the salesperson, salesperson tells them the truth based on what they know to be the truth. It's not necessarily the real truth. That's the real numbers that the developer's holding. So anybody who says Howard doesn't necessarily know what's going on, I would push back. And uh, if you get sued, I hope he doesn't go up against you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, also, he wanted to talk about Tampa, your, your uh, podcast with Tampa. Um, he thought it was tricky. Uh, it's either sell or it's buy. The time is now. Um, it seems like Tampa is still flowing normally, but Miami is in weird bubble territory. So he th- th- looks at Tampa as a more traditional market where Miami is sort of, uh, you know, a little antsy. Yeah, so just a quick comment about that. Uh, On the Tampa market, um, But by the way, the Howard Shapiro podcast, that's podcast number 24. Um, On the Tampa market, that would have been uh, podcast number 26. And that one's about the west coast of Florida, whether or not it's worthy of uh, uh, investors who maybe don't like what Miami's all about, maybe heading out that way. What, what, if if you haven't listened to the podcast, what the, uh, the guest said, is effectively if you own property in Tampa, now is the time to be selling. Why? Because they think as we get deeper into this uh, uh, pandemic and the downturn that's uh, that, that's going to occur from it, they think prices are going to fall. So they're telling their people sell now and be ready to buy back later. So from a timing perspective, if you're a buyer looking at Tampa, you probably want to sit on the sidelines and wait for uh, stuff to really go to shit, and then you can move in. You'll have more negotiating power. So nice. Okay, and lastly. Um... Ilya uh, brought up that um, he liked. He was talking about the last uh, roundtable. Okay. And I um, uh, really liked what uh, Brian had to say. He said he knows a lot, especially specifics. There you and, go, Brian. Yep. Nice. What and else? John are spot, uh, and John are spot on. Well done, John. Uh, Compliments. Kudos okay. to you. <laughs> and then he followed, he followed that with Here Oscar, it comes. Oscar Here it comes. The haymaker. Oscar, <laughs> Oscar is flipping. <laughs> That's what he said. Elias says yeah, Oscar exactly. Word verbatim. Well, listen. <laughs> this is what's funny. So Ilya okay. it was on this week's podcast, and I'm the one that told Peter he should be on the podcast. So I was riding high with Ilya in the beginning. I mean, for oh, for that? like two months straight, and now yeah. I'm slipping. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> well, I think he's he still he seems to be still hung up on the whole sea rising thing. Um, he and what is Miami, that again? What did he say about that? Well, I don't remember. He says Miami, Miami Beach will figure out how to adjust to it, sea rising. Right. Um, then he says Miami Beach is an amazing brand, but living yeah. and walking when streets are full of water is not going to work. No, for sure. That is true 100%. But the thing is that the city of Miami Beach has already been in discussions for years now about how they may mitigate some of this. Now, I agree the pumps and all these other things that they put in are not going to address the issue. They're still going to be flooding. The issue is whether we are going to be able to figure out how to raise these buildings and how much money the city is going to spend on that. And then the alternative would be we say forget about Miami Beach because the insurance is going to be too high Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. we just let it go. I mean, those are the two options, basically. So right. uh, will the city decide to let go of Miami Beach? I I don't think so. I, there's too much invested here. There's too much uh, of a legacy. Yep. Who, right. who wants to be the mayor that says, yeah, we're just going to eject Miami Beach from, from South right. Florida? That doesn't make any sense. So I think that there will be money spent on trying to mitigate some of this. And you could already see it in the buildings that are being built right now on Alton road. You can see a building, a a two story house where the first story is completely uh, just basically uh, stilts so that if the water keeps rising or rather when the water keeps rising, the second floor is going to be where the people live. I live on the second floor of a building. Well done. So yeah, so I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be all right. I'm going to, I'm going to, instead of a car, I'm going to have a boat, but I think that'll be all right. (laughs) Well, we'll think about it. Talk about it. Talk about a man-made reef, you know, artificial reef. (laughs) Exactly. My Honda is going to be, yes, my Honda is going to be an artificial reef. So I think, I mean, listen, we just spent, the city of Miami beach has spent a huge amount of money on this new convention center, 
where they're doing testing right now, huge amount of money. And the expectation is that at least through 2050, that thing is going to still be operating. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no question that the situation is going to be grave in 50 years. The, the stats show that the science shows that. So the city of Miami beach is going to have to be very aggressive over the next 10 years, figure out a plan and say, this is what we're going to do so that we can have a mitigation situation and continue to have Miami beach be a destination because otherwise if we don't get serious about it right now, then yeah, it's, it's going to be at our, out of our hands. We're not going to have a choice. Well said, Oscar. Well said. But I think so, the, now, I just think the implication, um, and I'm not trying to speak for Ilya, uh, but I think he might be trying to imply that, you know, you like to hobnob with the rich and famous because you live ah. there and you have <laughs> So the implication is that you're a latte liberal. <laughs> that I'm a lot. What does that mean, John? I don't even know what that means. You, you, remember, the old limi- you remember the old limousine liberal? Now yeah. there's, a, a new, there's a new term called latte, latte liberal. Okay. And what does it mean? Think about it. They, you know, <laughs> I have to explain this to you. What, yes. You yes. A because I don't think you know what it means. You go to Starbucks, you pay $20 for a coffee. That's a latte liberal. <laughs> yeah. But what does that have to do with what we're talking about? I don't, I, I just lost you 100%. I don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. Oh, well. What are you? What are you talking about? Listen, guys, what we're talking liberals. about is that you like to hobnob. You like to, you know, you like to play the liberal card. <laughs> but you, you know, but you like to hobnob with the rich and famous. So you're a latte liberal. Ah, you know, it's like, now it's I compliment. got it. It's a compliment. Ah, I got it. I got it. I got it. He's got saying it. you're playing no. both sides, Oscar. No, that's. that's... Well, let's say this. Let's say this. That's not <laughs> even close to being true. Not even close. However, <laughs> I will say that. Each one of us at times has said some things to sort of get the other one going. Let's just say that, which True. I think is what's happening right here, right here, right now. <laughs> but hey, I'm conservative sometimes, I think. In, in financial no politics, ways. no politics. No, no, no. In financial ways, I said in financial ways. So uh, there's a lot of room for investment in Miami Beach to this day. There will be for the next 10 years at least. People are not putting the brakes on investment. That's for sure. They're still building more and more and more. And I don't see that slowing down. Just it's remember, just... Oscar, though, it never goes bad until it goes bad. Exactly. And then it's too late. And then it's too late. So um, I want to thank Oscar Musabai. He is a partner in the public relations marketing firm called Influence Communication. I want to thank Brian Bandell. He's a senior reporter of the South Florida Business Journal. And I want to take, thank John Fackler. He's a private consultant. I'm Peter Zalewski. I'm your host. Remember, every Tuesday we do these Miami Real Estate and Economic Roundtables where it's a discussion by current and former journalists. And then on Thursdays, we do a guest interview where uh, basically we bring on an interesting individual when we talk real estate and we give you ideas as an, from an investment perspective, how you can get involved. If you have any um, suggestions, you have any tips, you have any criticisms, please send them our way via email at inquire at condovultures.com, I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we hope you catch up with one of our podcasts uh, real soon. Ciao, ciao.